Hello and welcome to another episode of Their Giants Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Roger Munter, and yesterday was my laziest musical intro selection ever uh, because my guest today is, in fact, Giants pitching prospect Mason Black, um, who really is one of my very favorite guys to talk to in the organization. Um, I know I say this all the time, but there are a lot of really great guys in the organization. Mason is way up there. Um, just the nicest kid, very hardworking, very thoughtful, introspective, um, really good at explaining kind of his mental process. So he's a great guy to talk to. Um, coming off two really good years, Mason was one of those guys who had a sort of a breakout first year and really built on that in his second year and figured out ways to keep getting better and to, you know, diversify, you know, his repertoire, which we talk about and, and just keep tinkering and figuring out how to use um, his arm and his and his smarts and his competitiveness uh, in better and better ways. And he's right on the doorstep right now, um, as he talks about at the end of, you know, hoping to put on a big league uni. Before I get to Mason, I'll say quickly that, of course, all their Giants podcasts uh, and, and other material uh, are supported by my my subscribers. So if you want to read much more of my thoughts on the giant system, uh, you can become a their giant subscriber. I'm just about to start my top 50 for the year. And after that, I'll be heading to spring training. So it's a great time to become a subscriber now. If you like <laughs> learning about the giant system and with that, let's chat with Mason black. Roger, you got me. I gotcha. Mason, awesome. how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Doing really well. Long time no see. Thanks for uh, taking a little time. Uh, I hear you're in the middle of a move. Yeah, I got the uh, the golf clubs are in the bathroom right now because I'm gonna have to sweep and mop after this. So <laughs> you know how that goes. Thank where, you where, for being flexible. Oh, no worries. Where Where are you moving to? So I'm um, I'm in Philadelphia right now and just moving down to Arizona for the off season, or I guess for the for the upcoming season. Right. Yeah, I mean we're we're halfway through the off season at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's been flying by. It's crazy. How do you how do you uh, how do you like structure your off season? Like, how long do you give your your body to rest, recuperate, and just spend time like being with the people in your life before it's like work, work, work again? Well, I mean, I'm trying to always work in the people in my life, honestly. Uh, but take usually you know two weeks off from lifting, about a month off from throwing. And that gives enough time to just kind of get a nice reset and like get to see the girlfriend, see the family, see everybody and um, really just pack it all in there. And then being in Philadelphia has been awesome this whole winter, too, because I'm close to so many people. So really does help. Okay, well, I, I'm not going to ask you if you're an Eagles fan because the Giants fans on the podcast might not like your answer, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I have my jersey hanging in the closet that hasn't gotten packed up yet. <laughs> what's it actually like when you get to the end of september uh what's your body actually feel like i i don't i don't know right offhand exactly how many innings you threw last year but but it was a good load like what's just physically do you feel like at the end of a year I, I wouldn't necessarily physically i don't i wouldn't say it's so much physical exhaustion but mentally i think is where the like taxing really comes in. Like Parker Dunchy, um, he was with us in Sacramento at the end of the year. He was talking like, he's like, your CNS is absolutely fried. You need to go home, <laughs> sit on the couch for like two weeks and just relax. And I was like, you know what, Parker, I'm going to do that. 
<laughs> I mean, you're, you're, I always say about you, one, you're, as anyone listening is going to be able to tell, you're an incredibly gregarious, friendly, just chatty guy, except when you pitch, you are intensely competitive out there. Like, how do you actually go through that process? Like, is it just, I wake up on game day and I'm, I, I flipped a switch or how do you like hone in on your intense competitiveness on those days? The, I, I would say it's been a learning process, to be honest, on some days, you know, you wake up and if your body's hurting or you're just not feeling right. So those are the days you kind of have to like grind through an outing. But at the end of the day, like as, as an athlete, the one thing you can always have is, is competitiveness and going out there and just being tough. And that's something that I've, I've thought about in the past and really like really broken down. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your slider shape is. doesn't matter what your fastball shape is like you got to get outs regardless of how you feel. So the, uh, the competitive side is kind of where, where you make your money. I would say that that's what I feel at least. Is it the fun side too for you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just start, I just started playing Madden actually recently to get the competitive <laughs> juices flowing and I stink and getting beat, getting beat by my little brother in Madden over and over and over. Like, there's some there's some rage coming out of me, so it's, I'm glad to see I didn't lose that. <laughs> um, well, I, I am of course going to talk to you about your slider shape, but <laughs> a little bit. But um, let me just ask you. Obviously, the off season, the great thing about not having games every day is you actually can just work on stuff. Um, what I know you're, you, you know you you're kind of a cerebral guy. I feel like what's your actual process of like assessing how a season went uh you know kind of figuring out where you want to take your game from there like how do you build an off-season plan i would say it's um a lot of like a team effort you know uh, you take those two weeks after the season like i don't think about baseball whatsoever because you just went through a whole season like it's it's a taxing whole experience honestly like going through that long season so the next, those two weeks really just put it at the back burner you know go see family friends like i said earlier but um, after that, it's kind of like you, you start to get that itch again to get back out there in training. And that's really when you kind of like reflect on the whole season as it was and what you did well, what you didn't do well. And that's kind of the time that that I take to reflect and kind of build my offseason plan. And then it works out really well because, you know, after about a month of the offseason is when we have our exit meetings. So they don't just load that on you immediately. You get time to reflect and that's when you kind of like sit down in those those meetings on Zoom and just bounce ideas off of each other. So that's what I really enjoy, the collaboration. You, I mean, you're getting up to the upper minor. So you've got guys who who are friends and teammates who've now been in the majors, obviously. Uh, you know, Bailey spent the year there, but like mm-hmm. Keaton Wynn, who you've been on rotations with for years. Um, do you like talk to those guys about like what that experience is and and have that you know, play into kind of what you're thinking about your own game? I think so. I think that's more so done in season too. Like in season at the field, at the games when, you know, Keaton and I wouldn't be pitching, we'd be talking baseball sitting there. Just, I'd be asking him about like what it's been like his year, obviously being up and down so much and really just finding himself as a pitcher. So just bouncing ideas off of one another is constantly um, being done in season. And then out of season is where you really dive into like your inner self and figure out where you want to go from there. 
it's i mean people a lot of people talk about sort of the the depth of arms the organization's getting at, at the upper level and, and and you're fortunate you're pitching with a lot of really talented guys on on your team um but everyone has their own style i mean how much does that help you you know with your development you can talk to keaton or, or kyle or or or, or rupert you know all of a wisdom hunt all these guys does it like rising tide lift all boats kind of thing absolutely yeah it's you know like when i was first drafted it was all pitchers so we've kind of had that that entire uh i guess that atmosphere the entire time i've been through the system and now like being able to go up to sacramento this past year and have guys like jelly and keaton and harry and people who have you know been up up and down or have been in the show or just guys like that you're close with that you can speak to it really does help and you get to see like their the way they approach problems and you know, kind of use some of that maybe if it works for you and you just get to try a whole lot of different things. Yeah. Are there, are there guys whose, whose pitches you, you like to steal or, or <laughs> pitch grip or things like that? Listen, I tried to throw a uh, Keaton wind splitter all last year <laughs> and realized that that's not for me. So hit the drawing board and I'm back to square one on a change up. So don't worry. So, so without revealing any, uh, any, any state secrets when you go to the exit meeting this year um what did you take away what did you decide that you wanted to to spend the offseason working on um i think a lot of it was in execution which you know this past offseason going into last year um, a lot of the focus was get the slider in zone figure out how to throw sliders for strikes so that guys can't eliminate that pitch earlier than two strikes so i was happy with the way that that went and kind of took a similar route this year except narrowed it down to just owning my plan and executing what pitches I need to throw and where. So like top rail of fastballs, throw sinkers down in the zone, kind of like that very generic yet being very focused on that plan helps a ton. And in addition, like figuring out how to, how to throw a change up, whether it be a 5% usage pitch or, you know, 20, if it's that good, um, just having a good feel for that. And just, I like putzing around with pitches. So that always is nice. <laughs> That's true. I, so I think the last time I really got to talk to you was uh, was in Bowie, not long before you before you left for Sacramento. And at that point, we were talking about your slider, and you said you'd kind of gone back to the gyro slider and you know, away from the the, the sweepy slider, uh, so that you could land in the zone more often. But then I feel like when I was watching your games in Sacramento, I would see games where you were using both of those shapes. Um, where where are you with the with the slider shapes now? Do you do you, is it too different pitches uh or do you want to hone in on one or the other it's it's now two different pitches and uh so like to tell the story as short as i can um had the big sweeper to start the year and completely forgot how to throw that sweeper and it really that's when it turned into that gyro slider and i had no idea what i was doing with it so um hit the lab and really got with our data analytics team and and uh coach or not coach geez and uh osagira down in uh, richmond and we said, okay, like if I can't throw a sweeper, like at least I'm going to throw a gyro that isn't cutter and I'm going to figure out how to throw this. And we kind of pulled up the, uh, our spin jar and I saw how it's supposed to be swooping. And I was like, you know, I can do that. So that's when I really started hammering down on the gyro slider and was able to land that in zone and uh, really just, just on that pitch. And then one day in a bullpen, Andy Thomas and I were just talking beforehand. He's like, Hey, have you ever tried to throw a curveball?" I was like, no, I haven't. Like, let me let me give this a try. Threw it, and it fixed every cue I've ever had on a sweeper, and I got my sweeper back. 
So we uh, we slowly started implementing that into games. And what we did was like Andy was catching me the one game. And I remember him telling me like, hey, if we're going to do this, like throw two different sliders, I want one to be hard and I want one to be huge. And those are his only two cues. So we called it probably four times in that first game. I started throwing it. And um, I don't think any of them were in the zone, but got a couple of whiffs on them. So we're like, okay, we got something to work with here. Like maybe this is something we could continually like develop. And then by the time, you know, the end of that pretty good stretch was, I was able to use both of them pretty, pretty much at like a, you know, 75 to 25 clip, just based off of like what we see in guys and and the count leverage and all of that. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's something we saw like Beck have uh, success with, uh, mm-hmm. at the major league level this year is the the sweeper and the hard slider and you go in zone and then out of zone get get chases get strikes early it's it's a nice combo to have if you can execute them both obviously uh well and so you you've mentioned your changeup a few times i i, I don't think <laughs> i saw that much last year um no. <laughs> is that a big emphasis for you this winter um not like i'm not setting aside like time to I'm not nailing down on it because, you know, at the end of the day, it would be like my fifth pitch and um, I made it this far without, without it. So it's like, if, as long as I can get it in zone and, you know, hopefully use it, uh, like I said, like a 5% clip. And if it's even better than that, if I get a good feel for it, how it looks on track, man, all of that stuff obviously comes into play, but it is something I've been tinkering with and something I've felt a lot more comfortable with this whole off season. I mean, obviously there's always talk about, you know, the repertoire for, for starters. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, do you have the third pitch? Do you have the fourth pitch? How do you think of it? So you basically have the two fastballs and now the two sliders. How do you think about your repertoire as far as being able to, you know, turn over a lineup, um, have fallback plans when something's not working? Um, what What is your thought process and sort of how robust do you want your, your repertoire to be? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm- I think there's a lot like you can you can move a sinker inside or outside and be able to consider that two different pitches if you really want. So I think a lot of it is sequencing. And that's something I had to learn how to do in triple A because I kept throwing fastballs up in the zone and kept walking guys because no one chased up there. <laughs> so I, I, I did kind of have to reinvent myself a little bit once I got to Sacramento and learn how to sequence. And that's something Joey Bart really helped with and Jackson Reitz and all of our catchers there. And um, really just learning and writing down sequences that I've had a lot of success with. What, uh, you said you bring it up, what was the experience with the ABS <laughs> like uh, once you got up to AAA? <laughs> it was different. It was different. Made the Eastern League strike zones feel like the Patriot Leagues, that's for sure. But, um, you know, it, if, if it comes to baseball, it is what it is. Everyone's throwing on the same zone, so... You, you can't complain about it. You just have to, you know, go through with with your work and just get better. It's a challenge at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and it, you know, like you say, it's sequencing is something all pitchers have to have to figure out because that is how you make your repertoire varied, basically. Mm-hmm. Disrupt timing, disrupt shape, disrupt locations or quadrants or all that stuff. So anything that helps you kind of learn those things uh, is a big help. Um, I wanted to ask you something. Uh, this came up in a conversation I was having about you recently, and and, and somebody was saying, "Oh, uh, I, I, he he has huge extension, kind of like Spencer Strider. You know, gets big leg, give 
big push off the the mountain. I was thinking, I was like, oh, I've never I've never really thought about Mason that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that something you like think about? Is your extension and your your leg push uh, as a driver for your for your power? I don't really know. I've never heard that that comp <laughs> before. I got to be honest. I, I, guess never I, grown, I I do have a little mustache going right now, so I guess I'll take it. But uh, no, I haven't. I haven't really thought. I I try to not think about mechanics at all on the mound because you know being um, the cerebral guy could definitely get in, in my way. So I try to put that stuff at the back burner. But um, with regards to extension, I mean, you you're not gonna change your extension at this point in the career. So uh, you rock with what you got, and I'm just gonna I'm just glad I throw from a low slot, you know. That's that's sort of the the pelfrey thing, right? Do all your do all your mechanical work in the daytime, and then in the games you just go play and 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 have fun. That's true. Um, so other than the ABS, once you obviously when you were in the Eastern League uh, that last month, you were on an incredible roll. Uh, the PCL is often kind of a culture shock for pitchers who come come east uh, for a lot of reasons. Obviously the the environments are one thing and the, the the quality of hitters are another thing um you managed the transition pretty well what did it what was it like for you how did you feel like uh that that experience of going up into reno and el paso and all those places was like for you <laughs> well <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned it before but the abs definitely had a little effect on on how i was setting guys up and how i use my fastball and everything because in the Eastern league you know being very pitcher friendly and the diamond is just the most enormous ballpark in all of america <laughs> so you can get away with throwing some some pitches that get hit pretty hard but you quickly learn in uh every place pretty much besides sacramento that anything that's like 96 off the bat's getting out of the park so um really just focused on as executing like like i said prior it's just like it was a bit of a culture shock, like in the sense that if I didn't execute a pitch or didn't set it up correctly, it's going to get hit. I remember one at bat, D.D. Gregorius. I threw a, a gyro slider low and outside to him as a lefty. And, you know, being an experienced hitter that he was, he knew it was coming. Because I think I set it up um, that first at bat. I think I started him off with pretty much the same pitch or maybe a sweeper, like low and away to him. And he just stepped out and hit it down the left field line for a double. I was like, how, how am I supposed to get that out? But I just, you know, had to reflect on things and really figure out what what I was doing at that time wasn't working. So, you know, hit the hit the drawing board and focused on my sequences and executing pitches and getting better count leverage than I was getting prior. And that helped with the whole adjustment and finishing on a better note than I started. I mean, but that's the whole nature of moving up through the levels, right? So you get narrower and narrower you know, margin for error kind of thing, right? That's part of what you're learning is the 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 hitters at each level teach you what you need to do to succeed there. Is this, is that the way you, you think of it? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the challenge of, you know, having having different experiences like that. Like you're gonna fail, you're gonna fall on your butt sometimes, but being able to to learn from it has and have the support staff to help you learn from it really does mean the world. I mean, one thing you do, uh, as you say, with your fastball is you pitch at the top of the zone, which is an area where balls can get hit out, right? If it's you have a good hitter, put a good swing on it, that's a, it's a, I don't know, dangerous or, or fragile area or something like that. How do you pitch up there kind of without fear of, of worrying about that kind of thing? Just 
in like trusting your stuff as, as basic as it sounds, um, been able to see the numbers and see how my fastball plays at the top of the zone. And I know like if guys get it, they're going to hit it, but you can't be afraid of, of failing like that failed plenty of times throughout my whole career here. So at this point it's second nature, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's the ability to, to not be afraid to do that and rip it at the top of the zone. And, and as long as you set it up, right, like you should get your whiffs, you should be able to, to do what you're, you're trying to do with it. You mentioned numbers a couple of times. How do you like to use numbers and how frequently do you like to see numbers? Like I know nowadays we have every single pitch in the bullpen. You can see exactly what your movement profile is. Um, what's your relationship to data at this point? Uh, it, was, it was a love hate at the start, definitely in, in Eugene. Um, I actually just talked to Q a little bit ago and um, it's, it was love hate. Got got the track man turned off um, on me a couple of times in bullpens because I was just diving too deep. And then, you know, had the realization that at the end of the day, it is about competing and putting up zeros and giving the team a chance to win. So um, however it is that you do that, like your bullpen is a bullpen for a reason. It's not your live performance. So that's the time when like the Pelfrey thing, like that's the time you dive into your stuff and you know, you can get overwhelmed by it at times. Like I've definitely been in that spot, but I think just learning from it and and not being too focused on every single pitch because it's exhausting. Just focusing on, you know, the whole net result of, of your games of months of the season, of the whole entire season. It is a little crazy. I mean, you, we watch major league games now and everybody's got an iPad on there and you can literally look over mm -hmm. and over again at every single pitch. Uh, and you have to have a ways to sort of turn that stuff off, I guess. I mean, mentally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it is really like, it comes down to just want to be better than the guy in the box that you're facing every time. And that, that's how I get around, you know, saying like, Oh, this pitch isn't working today. That pitch isn't. So. So we're into January now. What's kind of your, how do you ramp up as we get to, what we're like five, six weeks away from, from pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, I don't think there's been word mentioned, but you're sort of in that group that you would expect to get maybe a spring training invite. How do you start thinking of your timing from now till mid February? Uh, well, the giants provide us with the great, like just layout of, of pretty much everything. And I'm super in touch with like our strength staff, as well as our pitching coordinators, just like, letting them know, like, this is where I'm at. This is what I've been doing, blah, blah, blah. Especially with the dead period, you know, the never before seen one that we've had this past uh, month here. So it's just, I've been following the, the Giants provided plan pretty religiously. And um, it's just a matter of like, you get into your pull downs and you get into like upping the intensity with your throwing. And then finally you start to get downhill and you get your bullpen work in and you start like kind of like a reset there. It's like, you go from the super high intensity for pull down days back into like, okay, let's ease it back on the mound. Let's find our body, feel where that's at, and then we'll go from there. So that's the kind of transition period that I'll be going through here the next couple months is getting off of off the mound and then soon enough facing live batters. I didn't actually know about the the dead period. I, I just that just came up in a conversation <laughs> I had with a, an agent not that long ago. Uh how did that work for you? Um I mean I I it never really impacted the uh I would say it wouldn't really impact like the Giants because for the most part we do our camps in in the early fall or as soon as like January rolls around. So you know within the next month like guys will be going to the complex and everything and working out of there like on team issued uh, camps. So it was just it was 
excuse me, strange having the the no contact because usually, you know, you hear from a coach like every single week, like whether it be a strength coach or, you know, one of our coordinators or whatever. But um, it was it was not too difficult to navigate around because they're always there. Like we can reach out as players to our staff, but the staff just can't reach out back to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the holidays are behind us. I'm starting to get excited for uh, a, a trip out to Arizona soon. You and me both. Uh, I, I can't wait to see you there. Um, do you have, are you a guy who, who goal sets for a season? Do you have like expectations or things you want to do in the, in the coming year? Yeah, obviously. Like it's what what would be life without goals, you know? Um, so definitely, definitely have some goals set up for this upcoming season. And I think it goes without saying I want to be on that big league roster at some point, whether it be right out of spring training or early on in the year. So that's where I'll be gunning for. That's what I've been working towards my whole life. So that's uh, that's the end goal there. That'll be a very exciting day uh, to see you on my MLB TV uh, here at some point. Thank you. Um, but before then, I look forward to seeing you in, in spring training. Um, and, and you know I wish you all the success in the world. It's been really fun watching you grow as far as you've come. Thanks, Roger. I appreciate that. I'm excited to see you too upcoming here. All right. Well, you get yourself packed and uh, do some mopping, and we'll, we'll see you <laughs> out in Arizona pretty soon. Sounds good. See you soon, Roger. Thank you. And that is it for this week's Their Giants podcast. Um, as you can tell, um, yeah, Mason's just one of the easiest guys to root for, and I'm sure we all are pretty excited about what kind of year he might have this year because um, he could work his way into the Giants pitching situation pretty quickly, I would think. Uh, he's he's just about the most near Major League ready uh, of the arms who haven't made their debut yet in the organization. So uh, I, I think we will be seeing and hearing more from Mr. Black this year, and it's, it's going to be fun to see what he has to do. Um, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week with more Their Giants podcast content. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you later.